here's Popeye! This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Hello, and welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, a cult favorite, or an otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late, that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. This week, I am joined by two guests, returning guest Brian and first-time guest Tiffany, and we are going to be watching a movie that none of us has ever seen before, The French Connection, from 1971. Hey, guys. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having us. Hi, Dave. Hey, hi, Tiffany. I am really glad to finally get you on this podcast. I've been hoping to have you come on for a while. I know. I've been waiting yeah. my turn patiently. Brian, you, I can kind of take or leave. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. But um, honestly, I do kind of wish your first episode was under slightly better circumstances. I know. But, in uh, retrospect, we probably should have been watching Contagion or something pandemic Outbreak. or yeah 12 monkeys or 28 days later but tiffany doesn't like scary movies so we're we're limited oh, i see yeah well uh just to be clear this is going to be uh one of what is probably going to turn out to be many remote podcasts i mean i know we usually do it remote because we're on opposite coasts but this is remote from opposite coast bunkers that we are currently hiding out in bunker style yeah but nonetheless Tiffany, great to finally have you on the podcast and watching The French Connection. Whatever that is. Yeah. It's a clothing brand. <laughs> That's, yeah, is this FCUK? <laughs> That's the uh, the French Connection UK, and I do believe that is what we're watching. So, honestly, what do you guys know about this movie? Because I'm going to tell you my thoughts but i'm gonna let you guys go first what do you think you know about this movie had you even heard of it <laughs> i had not actually heard of it before and when we were thinking about which movies to uh watch for this podcast i gravitated towards this one because i'm french i like french things like French things, yeah, I was going to say. Yes, this movie's all about wine and cheese and baguettes, babe. It's going to be great. Croissants? I just, I feel a connection to those things that are French. Totally. I'm, I'm a quarter French. Brian's half French? Something, I don't know, yeah. Really? I feel like I didn't know this about either of you. Well, 
Guess we're all learning something today. <laughs> yes, indeed. After after my Filipino heritage, of which I'm 50%, French is the next largest ethnicity that makes up my background. So I, mm. I generally feel a sense of pride when it mm. comes to French things. I feel like I, I am of French descent. So, yeah. Well, do you think that's going to come in during this movie? Do you think that it will be a French film? Do you think there will be French people? What do you think the French connection is? <laughs> um, I assume that there will be French people, that it might be in France. Right I kind of thought that it would, off like right off the bat, I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like a love story, right? Like connection. Maybe it's about a relationship. I'm probably wrong, but... <laughs> Interesting. That that does kind of make sense as like a, the French is a very, uh, you know, France is like a romantic place. So the French connection could be along those lines, but not what it's I like thought. It's like an alternate title for Before Sunrise. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The first thing that I thought of when I heard French connection was that this is a drug connection. Uh. And this is going to be something about moving... Um, narcotics across Europe or something by way of a French connection. I had the same thought as you. So um, like you guys, I haven't seen the film. And frankly, I don't really know very much about it at all. I ha ha Have you, either of you heard anything about it reputation-wise? No. Negative. Okay. I think I've heard more about it reputationally than I have anything else. So, like, I always hear this referenced as, like, a good movie, you know, like, it's always in the same breath as, like, other really good films, and, you know, people will be like, oh, yeah, you should, you know, definitely check out, like, The Seventh Seal and, you know, The Godfather and The French Connection, you know, like, hmm. you know, see all these movies, and I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't, I've never really seen that one. But I don't know anything about it, really. So I'm I'm kind of in the dark about it as much as you guys accept that it, it just keeps coming up as a movie that's, at least theoretically, really good. So I do know it has a good reputation, or at least that's what I've heard. But like you guys, I'm kind of taking a lot. I know a couple other things, I think, but I'm taking a lot from the title. And my first thought, too, was that uh, when I heard Connection, I thought drugs. <laughs> so maybe that speaks, Brian, more to you and me and what our thought process is like, too. But I was like, you know, it's like the French connection. It's like he's got that connection, the French guy. That connect. We've got two, got that two druggies and one romantic here, then. Well, I also thought maybe just now that it could do, that it could have something to do with trains. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Why do you say that? Train connection. Oh, because oh, connection. You got to make the French connection. You got to make your connection or like travel. <laughs> I think I'm taking it a little too literally. You guys are probably on point, but. French connecting flight. <laughs> Two well, and a half hours about making your connection. <laughs> do you think you guys have heard anything else about this? Like, do you think you know who's in it? Um. This is going to be completely wrong, but um, the first person that pops into my head, and be perhaps because this is the only one of the only French actors I know, aside from uh, Gerard Depardieu, is um, <laughs> I don't even know his name, but the guy from Leon the Professional. 
Oh, Jean Renault. Jean Renault. Um, I I think part of that is the that my thinking that this is about drugs or the underworld, and he's got he's got that kind of look, that kind of vibe going. So mm. and he's French, so that's just kind of. But I imagine in, in 1971 he was probably a much, much younger man. So yeah, he was probably just a little baby. Yeah, yeah, just maybe a little he's baby a, man. He's a drug dealing French baby. Okay, so this yeah. movie was made in 1971. Yeah. Oh, or didn't maybe even know that. 19, came out in 71, made in 1970. Right. But we can we can rest assured that if there's a baby in the movie, it's Jean Renault. I fucking hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> And you're sticking. You are. You are sticking with the idea that there will be at least one French guy in this movie, because I mean, it, no matter who's right, there has to be a French person to be the connection, or the romantic person, or the train conductor. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that there is exactly one French person. Oh shit! Or at least okay. one person trying to be French. What do you mean oh. trying? Like. You know, pretending. Yeah, acting, acting French, but not ethnically French. So passing is French. Yeah, but trying to pass is French. Yeah, you mm. know, putting on a French accent, acting. Oh, wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> for for the purposes of their character is actually French, or for the purposes of their character is pretending to be French. For the purposes of that, their character is French. But I wouldn't be surprised if we casted a bunch of Americans to play French people. I see, I see. So even though I know very little, there is a little bit that I think I know about the film because there's a movie that I think is the French connection that I've seen referenced in other ways, but I'm not sure if it is the French connection. So I could be completely off base here and referencing another film, in which case I'm going to be very embarrassed when we come back for part two. Or I could be right, and I know like a handful of things. So number one, I think Gene Hackman is in this. I think he will be our star. And then you guys want to take a stab at who directed the movie? I'll say whoever directed... No, I don't know. <laughs> As Brian likes to say, that's a no from me, dog. <laughs> okay. I think the director is this guy named William Friedkin, who is perhaps most famous for directing The Exorcist, which, Here, by the way, okay. if you haven't seen, one of the best movies of all time. I've seen Although it. if you don't like scary movies, Tiffany, maybe not for you. Um. So I know there's a William Friedkin movie that I think is the French connection and it has what was considered at least for the time a very intense car chase mm. and I think it was in New York City. So I'm going to go all in and say the movie takes place at least a little bit in New York City and features a car chase and then... If it is still maybe the same movie, I think I've seen a clip, and I don't know where. Maybe I've seen it in a few different spots. I've seen a clip from a film where someone who I think is Gene Hackman shoots a guy in the back as he's running up the stairs to catch a train. Oh! It all. 
you, you know the you know this the clip I'm talking about? No, but I'm just excited about the possibility of a train being oh in this trains movie. yeah yeah trains i told you we'd loop back to trains he's trying to make his yeah. french connection he's trying to make a french connection and he fails because he gets shot in the back by gene hackman so yeah so those are two those are two scenes that i think will happen in the movie but i think i think we've reached the limit of the guesses that i have so you know, Gene Hackman, I guess, will, is probably going to be like a cop. He's some kind of narcotics cop trying to catch drug dealers, and he's trying to hunt down the French Connection. Maybe that guy is the French Connection, and that's the climax, and he gets shot at the end. I don't know. Yeah, all of this is right. Oh, well, good, great. Yeah. Either that, or it could be like, you killed our only lead, McGinty. You big dumb idiot. <laughs> and, you know... The more I think about it, every good drama, suspense, drug dealing, action movie also has a romantic side story going on. There will oh, for yeah. sure be some either damsel in distress or like lady spy who is yeah. entangled with either the connect or... Gene Hackman. Yeah. Assuming he's in this movie. (laughs) I wonder. So if it is like a drugs thing, I wonder if this movie is like a a noir, like if it's in a noir style. Mm -hmm. And if so, then she could be like a femme fatale. Right. Kind of character. Hmm. I wonder who would be because I I literally don't know who else. Although that feels a little ahead of the time for 1971, maybe. Well, I don't been, know. Like, the original old school noirs by then, like from the forties, like the Bogart Bacall movies, and the, you know the Big Sleep and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I guess this would this would be kind of like a a more like a modern modern noir. Totally. Well, I'm definitely curious to see. I'm always curious to see how they portray females in the motion pictures. Oh, we should. We should wager on the on the Bechdel test. Yeah, I I know you've been uh, getting tired of that lately, Dave. Yeah, so but uh, you know, I'm, I I can I can roll with it again. Tiffany, What's are you the Bechdel with test, Dave? <sighs> well, what it is? Wait, wait. Let me take you... a stab. <laughs> oh, okay. I've heard it so Please many do. times on your pod. Okay, all right. It's a three step process. Um, step one. Is there a female character in the movie who has a name? <laughs> is there more than one? Oh, I'm sorry. Is there more than one? Right, because that, that leads us to step two. Sorry, wait. Clarification question. Who has a name that is like uttered in the movie? Or Because ha- uh, in the credits, sometimes they will give a female character a name and you'll be like, how the fuck did I know that was her name? No one ever said it. I think it's like sort of like if the character yeah i suppose it would be if they say the name in the movie it's like if they're important enough to even have earn a name, a name right. as opposed to just being credited as like cop number 2 or you know woman in crowd kind of thing cool cool <laughs> yeah okay step 2 uh if you pass step 1 do these two female characters speak to each other. Mm. Right. Is that right? 
And then if you pass step two, step three is if they speak to each other, do they speak about something other than a man? <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shockingly unlikely. I've played actually. this game before. No yeah. <laughs> Practically no movies pass this test. Yeah. And this movie, this movie's from 1971. There is no fucking way it passes the Bechdel test. Well, if it does, it's like it's it's gold right it's ahead of its time it's a, a unicorn it's yeah, a yeah unicorn yeah. it was paving the path before any movie so well yeah well you know another uh, the the exorcist if this was directed by Wim Friedkin the exorcist features um a mother and a daughter who bo- are both named main characters who speak about things other than their men and their relationships to them. So that movie does pass the Bechdel test. Does so... Satan count as a man? <laughs> well, he's he's only possessing the girl for half the movie. So for at least part of it, she is a regular, regular little girl. So I, see. I think I think we could consider it as counting. Um, and oh. this is going to embarrass me to all of Dave's podcasting followers, but why what who is what is Bechdel? Um Alison Bechdel was a graphic novelist, a graphic artist who created a graphic novel called Fun Home, which uh was where that test originally kinda the idea for it was originally described. And um she, I mean she's a prolific um artist who who has other work more than that, you know, but um, I guess because her name is attached to that, she might be kind of most famous just for the spread of the Bechdel test. But um, she she is a pretty um, well-regarded artist nice. uh, as a graphic artist. Worth worth checking out. Did you know that, Brian? No, I didn't. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for asking. Yeah. Actually, I think you're the first person who did ask. Ugh, men. I know. <laughs> hey, he said plenty of women on the podcast talk about that and never uh, never ask either. Yeah, but they've been brainwashed by the patriarchy, Brian. That's right. And they call themselves feminists. Damn it. Disgusting. <laughs> um, but I actually, thinking about this being a 70s film, have another prediction, which is that um, if this does take place in 1970s New York... Just from a look and feel standpoint, this movie is going to be really grimy. Soup's gritty. Lots of trash flying around. Yeah, this is going to be like the height of gross New York, I bet. Like a lot of grime and crime and grit, graffiti, drugs. Oh, yeah, this is totally a movie about drugs. It's got to be about drugs, right? Yeah, some of those... uh pornographic movie theaters oh yeah or like the mafia or some sort of like high crime right like Mm. the french connection the guy who like gets it done no that's italian i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i think there's gonna be there's gonna be someone Maybe it's Orson Welles. He'll show up right at the end. He's the French connection. He's there for like five minutes right at the end. They've been talking about him the whole movie. He just comes in for one scene. But yeah, um, I think that's all I have for this movie. And 
it's funny. I've been meaning to watch this for a while, strictly on like name recognition. So I'm glad to actually have the opportunity to like to have a reason to finally watch the damn thing. Because honestly, it just keeps sitting in my Netflix queue, and I keep being like, mm, "Should I watch the French Connection today?" Uh, I'll watch Final Destination three <laughs> again for the tenth time. <laughs> I really like it. It's gonna be, is that the one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead? I don't know. I'm excited to see this movie now. I feel like I came into this kind of being like, "Whatever, let's just." pick a title and go for it. But now I feel like I have this framework for how I'm going to enjoy and or analyze this movie. Prepare for your dreams to be dashed. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what we do here. It's what this podcast is all about. Dream Dashers. (sighs) That would have been a great title. Dream Dashers. Well, next time. All right. Well, I think... With that, we're good to go. So let's watch The French Connection, and then we'll reconvene from our bunkers, and uh, we'll see how we did. Sounds good. All right, on. All right, catch you on the flip side. This is the part where we're watching the movie, (laughs) and now it's done. Oh, hey, hey guys. Oh, hey. Yeah? Au revoir. Oh, oh, oh. touche, mon frère. (laughs) This is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. Well, welcome back, you guys. Hey. Good to be back. So you guys literally just finished watching it? Moments ago. Yep. After so the ending, failure. huh? <laughs> what the hell kind of ending was that? Oh my god! So sudden, right? Oh my god! So much left unanswered. I, I am confused. Um, yeah. Well, I can help with a little bit of it. I don't know if I can help with all of it, but uh, I have some stuff. But I guess the first thing I want to say is that. Looking stuff up in, in during our in between period, I found out what the French connection means. I think it became clear during the course of the movie that it did in fact mean drugs. Mm. Sure did, but it but means also, something else. Also, that was their connect. It was a French connect who was bringing the drugs yeah. over. Yeah. Yes, and so um, as it turns out. Um, it was based on a real thing. This was um, not just made up. The French Connection was a real smuggling network. It was a real smuggling network that um, smuggled heroin from Turkey to the U.S. uh, via France. Um, It started in the 30s and got broken up in the 70s, basically during, mostly during the early 70s, partially through through the bust that we saw portrayed in the movie. But its heyday was uh, right before then. And at that point, it was responsible for 80% of the U.S. heroin supply. Oh, my God. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So in the beginning, it said that this was based on a book. Yeah. And is this based on a true story then? Like all the characters 
are based off true stories. That's what I was Basically. wondering too when they when they sort of talk about the punishments at the end, who you know the sentencing and stuff like that. Uh, was that just to wrap up the movie, or w- w- did that actually happen in real life? <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess I guess they had to do it to wrap up the movie too because it that ending, which we'll talk about, but also in real life. So it is based on a book, right? But the book was based on a real life thing, and got um, it. it, it and it was based on a couple of real life guys. So uh, the book was called The French Connection uh, by Robin Moore. And it was about two detectives, uh, Eddie Egan, who is the who is stand in as uh, Popeye, played by Gene Hackman, uh-huh. and Sonny Grasso, who is played by um, Roy Scheider in the movie. Um, the real guy, Eddie Egan, is actually in the movie. He plays Simonson, their chief. Ah, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. The the yeah. guy is the chief the one that they got to authorize the wires? Yeah, that guy. Right. Interesting. So he's he's the real dude. Oh, the the kingpin too. So he's based on a real guy. So the French guy Frog 1, who they they call him in the movie, right. who appears to get away at the end. He's based on a real guy who is named uh Jean Jehan, who at least according to William Friedkin, the movie's director, uh, was like really, really obviously a drug lord, but the French government never wanted to arrest him because he had this history with the French resistance, and so they were kind of like reluctant to put him in jail because he was like a hero, I guess. He was a war hero, um, so they don't arrest him for smuggling heroin? Basically. But this yeah. is also according to the director, so maybe take it with a, gra- a grain of a huge grain of salt. Um. But this is a uh, the craziest fact about the whole thing. So you saw you saw from like the factoids at the end that basically there isn't any kind of satisfactory resolution. No like justice. Tons of the people. Yeah. No justice. Tons of the people get away. <laughs> no one gets a good sentence. Yeah, and like the two cops four years basically is the just longest get... sentence or something. Right. It's even worse than that. So wow. In the early seventies, there was a huge scandal because. A whole bunch of crooked NYPD cops allowed the gangsters of the French Connection to access the evidence storage unit where all of the heroin that they got from this bust was stored, and they took it, replaced it with cornstarch, and then just sold it anyway. Holy and they fuck. got away with seventy million dollars worth of heroin. Holy fuck! Were were those guys ever prosecuted? Uh, the cops got caught. Yeah, uh, okay. I don't know about that's the, that's what I mean. The, yeah, yeah, the cops who stole it. That's insane, though. Yeah, I know. <sighs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, no justice. Not to mention, well, like, I mean, I guess the cops got caught. I hope we can talk about the like racial, like. Racism. Racism. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was gonna say racial undertones, but then I was like, no, there was it was overtone. It They're was, like overtones. Yeah, yeah, it was very sh- strong racism in this, and then knowing that this happened in real life, and then hearing that, like, just you know, speaks to how much people who have been addicts or yeah. you know, you know, marginalized communities are just oppressed, like purposefully. Let me 
get to that in one sec when I get to the character. I want to real quick duck into the director first. So the movie is directed by William Friedkin. Did you guys know him at all from anything else? Nope. I recognize the name and I want to say Ghostbusters. Close. He is probably most famous besides this for having directed The Exorcist. Oh, right. You'd said that in part one. Uh, We totally missed that. He also directed a movie called The Birthday Party, uh, which I was surprised to see because that's like, that's this interesting film based on a play by Harold Pinter, who's this, um, he's a playwright who writes, uh, I guess, plays that one would consider a little weird. And if you just sort of pick them up and read them as a normal person, you're like, what is this incomprehensible gobbledygook? And it and so in a theater class in college, that was my reaction. I was like, this is nonsense, and I don't understand why we're reading this. And so the professor basically played us clips from that movie to show us like, well, you see, if you actually get actors who understand the like deeper meanings underneath the words and like portray things with intention, you can take seemingly nonsense language and make it seem actually quite meaningful and interesting. And so mm. I didn't realize he was responsible for that movie. Did- um he also did just an interesting thing for me. Uh hmm. Blue Chips, that basketball movie. Um a movie uh-huh. called Bug with Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd, which I only bring up because it's kind of a, a claustrophobic one room movie, which is very applicable to our current situation right now. <laughs> yeah. What a what a and strange then, smattering though. Like he's kind of he's kind of all over the all over the genre spectrum. Yes. And this last movie was interesting to me and kind of goes a little bit to what you just brought up, Tiffany, in a sideways way, which is I was not familiar with this film, but he directed a movie called The Boys and the Band. And even though I hadn't heard of it, it had this uh, note attached to it, which was that the movie The Boys and the Band is among the first major American motion pictures to revolve around gay characters and Hmm. is often cited as a milestone of queer cinema and is thought to be the first mainstream American film to use the swear word cunt. Well, I what? did notice the very hard, hard pronounced N-word in oh, yeah. The French Connection, followed by can never be trusted, which I was like, yep. whoa, we're... Yeah. Um... Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's so that brings us to this is a good moment to talk about uh the main guy. So uh we have Gene Hackman playing Popeye Doyle, Jimmy Popeye Doyle, who's based on this real guy, uh Eddie Egan. And so number one, it did say in all the trivia stuff that Gene Hackman was not super comfortable with saying all of that, but you know, you can take that with whatever kind of grain of salt you want to. But um, it is based on him, and they were actually willing to say that the racist language was accurate, accurate to the way he behaved as a cop. And it's 
part of this kind of thing, which I think kind of like is common throughout this era of filmmaking where you get these cop characters who are portrayed as like a little bit racist, but they're still okay. It's like the filmmaker considers them okay guys because they're not like really as racist as the real racist. They're (laughs) just like, they just have the light racism and that's basically just rough edges that you have to get past, but they're good at heart. Right. Cause they're fighting crime. Yeah, and it's like, you know, if they ever actually met a black person and got to know them, they're actually, like, cool, cool dudes. They're not actual racists. They just say the N-word a lot. Right, and they, like, will go to a club and watch a black woman sing and enjoy entertainment from black people, but are certainly only busting black people on the street. Yeah. Yeah. You get this like in the heat of the night too, where like the main white character is this southern cop who's also like racist in the beginning, but then you know he meets Sidney Poitier and it's like he's willing to work with him, so that makes him the good guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty common to the era. Well, I also and... figured that back then it was it was just more common to hear that word come out of people's mouths and also have that be said in TV, radio, movies, right? I think that's yeah. true. And if and if this came out in 71 and was based on a true story, that must have been at least slightly earlier, like into the 60s or... Do you know when it's yeah. supposed to take place exactly? No, I think probably relatively around the time that it's meant you know shown to be i think i think the bust it portrays is like pretty close in time yeah to when it's shown to be but man that line hits like it lands really hard i was yeah. like whoa yeah yeah especially because it's, it pre- it's preceded by him calling his partner a guinea and oh i missed I'm that like, oh yeah he he calls roy scheider that and I'm kind of like, oh, huh, you know, all right, but they're partners. And then he immediately follows it up with that. And I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Like, like one, two punch right off the bat. It's like one of the first things we see out of him. Yeah, it is. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. He's actually not really that good a guy. No, he seems like kind of a kind of a sleazeball overall. Yeah, he. I mean, the first guy they catch, he like beats the shit out of him. Right. Totally. Yeah. And then he, I mean, I think the director was kind of trying to show how he is sort of like driven mad by this case a little bit. Like, you know, he spends all this time out in the cold, and he just like is relentlessly chasing people, and like isn't stopping to sleep, and isn't stopping to eat, and like. The music is like kind of like intense and he's like, you know, there's a lot of like extreme close ups on his face where he's just like so obsessed with catching these guys and then, you know, ends up killing a cop. Right. So, yeah, he does. And has no remorse in it, in that he's no. just like he like who cares? Like, I got to go get the bad guy. Like, whatever dead comrade like <laughs> never liked you anyway right. no, that that guy was giving him shit throughout 
throughout the case too so yeah you wonder if part of it was intentional or uh, i mean it makes it sort of makes sense that he at least doesn't care about him i guess but doesn't excuse it how did how did you guys feel about gene hackman just from an acting standpoint you know, he reminds me of Will Ferrell, so, like, I can never really take his, like, mm. face seriously. Like, he just, he's, like, the type of guy, I feel, who should be playing, like, a clown or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I think Popeye is, like, a great nickname for him because, like, he looks like a Popeye. Like, he just looks silly and, like, his whole, like, tough guy, cop role, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't fit him super well. I, I I think he did an okay job playing the uh the hard ass, but I didn't really buy him as a cop. I think he did a lot of non copy things, just like the way that he was the way that he was like you know, roughing people up and stuff and like um like the weird things like keeping his gun on his ankle for some reason and just like the way that he held his gun he's just very all like loosey-goosey and not in that way that that cops are usually very um you know they act in like a trained like militaristic kind of way regulated way yeah Yeah. like he had no form he was just kind of like all over the place sloppy yeah and he he would go into you know, a bar or an establishment and just be like, all right, everyone, put your hands up. Like he's some sort of ringleader, you know, like or circus leader where he'd be like, like, hey, you get over there. Hey, you put your hands up. Hey, 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 like, don't be looking at me. Empty out your pockets. Did you drop that? Pick that up. (laughs) Yes. Several times I was like, cops don't do that shit. (laughs) That's not how you do that. Maybe it was different in the 70s when that's people I, respected That's what I cops. kept chalking it up to. But I feel I like, like you maybe... do that shit now. They're like, uh, there's 25 of us. We're going to fuck you guys up. <laughs> Honestly, that's I, that whole time in that scene, I was like, there are so many more people than the two of you. Like, you guys are in serious danger. <laughs> right? I don't yeah. know. I also think, like, it it speaks to that non-regimented sort of way he was handling the role which like i feel like a cop if he came into a bar you know crowded bar and wanted to get everyone's attention or wanted everyone to follow what he was saying like it would just it would just be a little bit more serious whereas i feel like he was just like prancing around and like you know oh what do we got here oh well what is this a hospital hey oh hey hey you dropped something there pick up your shit all right, that's it's it. Very showy. Hands up. Yeah. Oh, you over here. Whiskers, whiskers. You get over here. Yeah, he's he's very like a carnival barker kind of kind of thing, like you said to. Totally. Totally. Like, yeah, or like he would approach it with just like a little more caution, you know, like <laughs> And when they're when they're sitting on the uh the Cadillac and the the guys come up um to to strip the tires and they're they everybody rushes in on them thinking they're they're busting the gang he just fires his gun into the air like everybody stop nobody move (laughs) like jesus man that's pretty unprofessional but so in pretty stark contrast to his behavior you've got roy scheider playing his partner um buddy cloudy russo um (laughs) Here's the thing, uh, a guy who they considered ins- 
instead of Roy Scheider was William Shatner. Oh no! Whoa, <laughs> I know. But like, see, Roy Scheider was great because like they have this good dynamic where like Gene Hackman is so over the like right. over the top and like almost cartoonish, and he's like very subdued yep. and like calm, and like they have it in like the you know one's the good cop, one's the bad cop, whereas like William Shatner is so like theatrical also goofy yeah it would have been dumb and dumber like (laughs) right yeah the only other guy i'm gonna mention is uh fernando ray played uh alain charnier which is frog one the main uh french drug dealer and uh just the fun fact about him is that he's a spanish actor spanish he got cat yeah he's spanish and he got cast by accident because um Friedkin had seen this uh, movie, this uh, Buñuel movie, and was like, ooh, get me the Spanish actor from that movie. But there was more than one, and they got the other one. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Yeah. And then they were going to fire this guy and get the, the other original Spanish one they wanted. But then, but then it turned out that the original one he wanted didn't speak any English. So they were like, ah, fuck it. We'll just stick with this guy. That's really funny. But I also want to call out another important part of the cast, which was New York City playing itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, grungy New York City, right? Like, those alleyways and, like, the streets down by the waterfront with the, like, steam vents and the potholes and the garbage strewn everywhere and the unfinished sidewalks. I mean, it's like, ah, oh, yeah. I-, I love it. I knew there'd be paper trash blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah. It was super grimy, and I loved it, too. It actually, like, they show so much of New York. Yeah, all the restaurants and, like, the subway and, yeah. They're, like, they're from, like, uptown Manhattan to the Lower East Side to Brooklyn, like, all over the place. I saw some spots near where I used to live. It was awesome. I was, like, really, really into how much of New York they showed. And even though it was, like, shitty early 70s New York, I was kind of, like, really digging it. Yeah. Yeah. Always cool to see a city back in the day and just imagine, like, what what was life in that city like back then, you know? Yeah. I know. It seems like it would have really, really sucked, to tell you the truth, but I was still very interested in it. Well, it also seems like there's way less traffic. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not true because they did get into a traffic jam at one point. But Only one, though. I mean, he's blasting around the city pretty freely. And then, like, the train oh, the train well, stations aren't even crowded. So Right, right. Oh, yeah, and the trains look like they're, like, you know, busy, but not, not like, commute trains. <laughs> that's because everybody's home doing drugs. <laughs> No, man, everybody's what? out. They're all waiting to get well. Yeah. Oh, I love that slang. They want to get well. Um. Well, speaking of getting well, let's talk about the plot. So um, the movie begins, and uh, the first thing I noticed was that uh, it had some pretty cool old school music that I was digging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd also like to point out that we were immediately in France, uh, you know, that we thought maybe some of the movie would be in France, and we were right off the bat in Marseille, so. Yep, with a baguette, no less. Oh, yeah, that was great. Right before a guy gets his fucking face blown off, (laughs) 
Yeah, the, why did that happen? There wasn't a lot. Say what? Why oh, did that yeah. guy get killed? There was. I, oh, I um, don't he was a that. he was a cop. He, oh, he was a cop um, who was on I, to the Frog One crew. Yeah, it was. It was. He was like the French version of Gene Hackman. Maybe I maybe I realized he was a cop when I was looking it up later, but like he was definitely someone who was a foul of the gangsters who they wanted off, and I'm pretty sure he was just a French cop who got taken off the board. His face got taken off the board. I know, so much That's red, what... bright red. Yeah, so there wasn't a lot of action, but whenever there was, it was so gory. So gory. Quentin Tarantino would be proud. Their blood, yeah, their the... blood splatter is weird, though. It was like too thick. It looked like paint. <laughs> it it was, it was a little paint. unrealistic, but I was also just taken aback by it. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> just so much blood. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then we're in Brooklyn, and we meet uh, Gene Hackman and uh, Roy Scheider as Popeye and Cloudy. They're doing this Santa Santa. The trick. Santa scene, yeah. I liked yeah, that, which, actually. Yeah, it was clever, which is also apparently something that they really did, the real guys, apparently um, singing jingle bells. Santa singing jingle bells was a signal for them to spring the trap and go after whoever they were waiting for. Clever. Um, they're in, so yeah, Gene Hackman in a Santa suit waiting outside a place, and then he gives a signal for Roy Scheider to run in and grab the guy that they're waiting for. And during the course of it, they have to chase him down. They rough him up a little bit. And then they start playing a little bit of good cop, bad cop. Mm-hmm. During which we get the first use of a line that will pop up a whole bunch of times. <sighs> which is Gene Hackman asking him, do you ever pick your feet in Poughkeepsie? What oh, the yeah. fuck does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys also find that fucking weird? Yeah, we so talked about weird. that in the moment. We were like, okay, he's asking him who his drug lord is, and like he's asking for like location details. But what is up with this foot picking thing in Poughkeepsie? <laughs> At first, I was like, is this some kind of weird '70s slang yeah. that I don't get? Yeah. And then after a while, I was like, okay, it keeps coming back up enough that it's like practically a drinking game, like every time (laughs) that it gets mentioned. So what I discovered is um, what it was, was something, again, that the real guys did, which is that in doing the good cop, bad cop routine, what the Gene Hackman guy would do as the bad cop is ask nonsensical uh, nonsensical questions like that in order to be unsettling and sort of like rattle the guy and then the uh, the good cop could come in and ask more regular questions and be like soothing in response to that so basically it's meant to be what? weird in order to make the guy like uncomfortable and confused Just in freak order him to out. make the good cop yeah in order to freak him out so that the good cop can be more effective as a good guy. so strange i know does that i didn't get that does that work in real life like i know that the good cop bad cop thing does work but like i feel like if a cop were asking me if i pick my toes in poughkeepsie i would just be like i literally have no idea what you're talking about can you ask me some other question <laughs> 
Yeah, the confusion defeats the purpose. No, yeah, like it, it, I couldn't take him seriously. Like I feel like the guy was like shaking in his boots, so scared that whole time. I mean, granted, he did just get his ass kicked, but like I feel like if a cop asked me that, I would be like, "You're talking nonsense." Like what? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, like takes you out of the moment. Yeah, but then the the guy was like. Uh, yeah, 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 I did pick my feet in Poughkeepsie. I did, I did, I did, I swear I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that further confused me with the movie, too, because I was like, oh, okay, so he agreed, so this it must mean means something. means something real, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, so anyway, yeah, well, so that's what it meant. I don't know if it really works, but that's that's what they were doing, so <laughs> anyway. So then, yeah, so then we see them after work. He says the N-word, and it's fucking terrible. And then they go out to a club, and they start seeing all these gangsters hanging out. And they're like, okay, there are too many gangsters all hanging out in one place. We should start tailing And Such a that's random they... place for this whole thing to start. It's like, those guys look like gangsters. I've got a hunch. They wind up following this guy who turns out to be Sal Boca and uh, his girlfriend, Angie, who's a fast filly. And uh, God, I love the slang in this movie. And then then we get the scene where they go bust up that bar and you get like, all right, Popeye's here. And he goes right. and like holds all those guys down. He also does that thing where he takes all their drugs and throws it in the cocktail oh, yeah. shaker and ruins them all. I did kind of like, like oh, that. Shit. It's like, I'm not going to take these. I'm just going to fucking ruin them for Wreck you guys. Them. I know, but then I was like, yeah. a lot of those drugs are in capsules and like, I don't think they're ruined. Like, that's totally salvageable. If they got all wet though, the weed, the weed like was ruined. Through, well, actually. Well, the yeah. weed looked bunk anyways, so. It was 70s weed. Oh. 70s weed was garbage i've been told um did you guys realize that that dude was a snitch by the way the the guy he pulled into the bathroom um yeah no i i thought he was just a little a regular guy i mean i realized after the oh. fact but not not until he revealed himself i made him for a snitch right off the bat <laughs> oh yeah that yeah that snitchy look also i just like <laughs> i think maybe because of this movie there's it's kind of like a classic thing where in order to get your snitch away to talk to him the cop is like all right i'm gonna go beat you up over here out of sight for a second you know and then they talk yeah good point good point so, so it turns out they know that there's this major deal going down and involves this guy they really want to bust named joel weinstock uh, another minority they really want to take down because he's jewish and uh right. they get they get the classic uh resistant chief who does <laughs> yeah God damn it, Popeye. Your methods <laughs> I don't agree with, but damn it, you get results. <laughs> but they do get, they get their fucking wiretaps. Right, let Although me guess, you Popeye need a wiretap. Some... <laughs> right, yeah. But uh, there's some, some shit comes Popeye's way, because apparently in the past he got a fellow cop killed, which is something that comes back up a couple of times. Foreshadowing. Um, right. We get we get a look at uh, Popeye's apartment because Roy Scheider oh. comes over and yeah. yeah, what is up with the ankle bracelet or the um, cuffs cuffs yeah. on the, his ankle to his bed? Like I understand the bike in front of the door is security. Like okay, he has like a pigsty of an apartment because he's never home and always working. 
but he cuffed himself to the bed? He's into some freaky sex shit. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's first he's following the girl on the bike. And I think the idea is he took that girl home. And then she cuffed him to the bed. But I thought that would have been so that she could like ransack the apartment and like rob him. But then that doesn't seem to be what happened. Yeah, she's still there. Right. So I don't I guess it was freaky sex shit. I don't know. I, I think it just furthered his portrayal as a scummy guy as a gross scummy 70s new york cop yeah was, did a good job of that was that the only like screen permissible thing they could put on to say like this guy's into some kinky shit <laughs> good question um maybe we'll come around to the ratings actually with a factoid later so Possibly, in order to avoid a higher rating, that could have been it. I feel like they but, could have um, thrown a line in there, like, you know, where his partner is like, hey, man, like, you know, you got to be careful with that stuff. Like, you you don't want to catch yourself with your pants down or something. <laughs> Stop bringing home so many fast fillies. <laughs> yeah, like, just to make the connection or like, hey, man, like, you know, you need those cuffs for work. You shouldn't be, like, playing around with them so much. Like, I felt like the cuffs like sort of went unspoken except for like a close up on them and then he like took them off easily so <laughs> it wasn't like he was trapped there. I don't know. It was weird. It was like, all right, we're just not going to talk about the cuffs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like the pick your feet in Poughkeepsie thing. Like it clearly we're clearly meant to pay attention to this, but we're not going to have any explanation of why. Well, to be fair, it is his partner who's come over and found him like this, and he is kind of like, Popeye, how often am I going to keep finding you in this position? <laughs> okay. I mean, there was so much going on in that apartment that I was like, <laughs> what is he talking about? Like, pa oh. his paranoid position, his, like, you know, like, mess of a position. Yeah, that <laughs> apartment was fucking gross. Um in the meantime, the Frenchies are up to something. So the French people from Marseille have all um, gotten over to the United States at this point. Uh, they make a stop at a car graveyard where I guess that's where New York dumps all of the hundreds of abandoned cars they collect every day. I was like astonished by this, the, the like number of quote unquote abandoned cars that they have to deal with and then sell for $25 I know, a pop. so freaking cheap. Well, well again, wait, in 1970, that's like a couple hundred bucks, right? Yeah, but still, uh, just the idea of abandoning a car just seems so weird, but... I don't know. Out here yeah. in Oakland, we report our abandoned cars or like, you know, ditched cars through a public like 311 app. And um, we've reported a couple and we've also been told that it takes them anywhere from six to eight weeks to get to your request because they get hundreds of reports a day. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, and that's that's in a city of of four hundred thousand. So you can imagine in in all of New York, like I, I think that's a a reasonable thing. Yeah, I guess so. I was just like, 
it's just so surprising because you know it's a fucking car <laughs> like one of the most expensive things you can buy yeah, I mean, he did say most of which are from crime use, which I also think yeah, is what yeah. is happening here is like people steal a car, use it to do some illegal activity and then ditch it. Dump it. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Speaking of crime. So on the wiretap, I just wanted to call out that they um, they they overhear a guy who sounds French uh, after a conversation Sal has with Angie about getting a pizza where Sal says he can't get a pizza that late at night in New York City. Yeah, what? that was a bullshit line. Yeah, get out of here with that, Sal. I remember that, too. I don't care if it is the 70s. He was like, where and are we going to find a anchovies? pizza shop? <laughs> and he was, he was up all night until dawn in a freaking bar. You can get pizza easier than that. Jesus Christ, the pizza capital of the world, Sal. But Come yeah. on. Uh, speaking of which, uh, do you guys, I mean, I don't know how much time you spend in New York, but do you have uh, best pizza opinions? No. Nope. <laughs> but I'm, um, I'm totally into, you know, thin crust, foldable, oh. New York style slice. Oh. No, like, no Sicilian or like... And honestly, if I had to pick between like Chicago deep dish and like New York thin, New York thin all the time, a hundred percent of the way. A hundred percent. Get out. Get the fuck out of here with that, Chicago. That's not even pizza. It's a pie. It's a cheese pie. It, yeah. I, I mean, you can call it something else, and it's perfectly fine for what it is. But it's not pizza. Shut up. Just shut up, Chicago. Yeah. Shut yeah. up, Chicago. Well, I will say, for my own personal opinion, there are some friends of mine who swear by Vinny's in Brooklyn. Um, there was a really great place that uh, Eric used to really like in Greenpoint called Carmine's, but it's not there anymore. Uh, so if you want to follow my recommendation, it would be on the Lower East Side, there is a place that ironically is called Williamsburg Pizza, uh, but that is probably the best pizza I've ever had in my entire life. So mm. check that out. It's on Broom Street. It's fucking awesome. Mm. So they start tailing this okay. French guy. Yeah. <laughs> And it goes bad pretty much immediately and in every possible way because they get caught in traffic and lose him. Then on foot, Popeye gets spotted basically immediately. <laughs> then the two French dudes go for a luxurious <laughs> French five-course meal at yeah, like well, a fine dining restaurant. Well, while Popeye is stuck freezing his ass off across the streets. It looks so fucking cold. That was a nice juxtaposition. Like, yeah. Hours okay. and hours. I was so into whatever restaurant they were dining at, the fine dining restaurant where they were served like old, old school style. Did escargot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like the meat was sliced at the table and the dessert was like from a whole pie and they like sliced the dessert at the table. I think it shows the name of the restaurant on the awning as they're going in. We could We could check that out. Let's see if it's still there because we can go. I hope they still let you smoke inside. We'll go there and Williamsburg Pizza in the Lower East Side. Again, Williamsburg Pizza is really fucking awesome. And they're open late, Sal. So we get a little bit of uh, testing the drugs chemistry, and it turns out that it's really good drugs. My favorite scene. Say what? This is my favorite scene. That was your favorite scene? Oh, well, the, the, the heroin tester guy was my favorite character. And just this series of 
descriptors that he uses as the boiling point, I guess, keeps going higher and higher. Absolute dynamite. Absolute dynamite. We're heading towards the moon. Pure poison. It's a rocket ship, man. Yeah. He yeah. just like... It's like he has all these all these words keyed up for every ten degrees, um, yeah. and then and then at the end when uh, the guy says oh, thanks a lot, yeah, take take the rest home with you tonight, and he grabs the kilo. He's like, no, no, the the, the small one. He's like, ha ha, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Good try though. Okay, try, quick quick sidebar on the restaurant. It was one it, it was called the Copain. It was a French restaurant. Copain. Copain. Yeah, Copain. Copain. Um, it's no longer there. It was an Asian oh. restaurant for some time and then it was Justin Timberlake's restaurant <laughs> called Destino. <What? laughs> um yeah, so it was this like Italian restaurant owned by Justin Timberlake called Destino. But it closed because of sewage floods. Oh, well, guys, we're better off. I, I'm a little disappointed <laughs> to tell you the truth. I, I would have hit up the Justin Timberlake version. So now it's just nothing. That was the last uh, news article I could find in tw- in two- 2015. The restaurant was suing the insurance company over multiple floods of human waste. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And not only was it flooding, it was apparently running down the walls of the restaurant. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't eat there, you guys. I know. You don't want to eat at shit walls? (laughs) You know, I don't feel like cooking tonight. You feel like going to shit walls? Yeah. Hopefully they'll seat us in the back. Oh, no, the back. You barely get any shit on the walls. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, um, fuck. Thank you. That was an awesome sidebar. Uh, <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit so walls. The drug testing. All right. Blast off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's 89% pure, which apparently is true. Uh, the the heroin of the real French connection was um, notable for being particularly good shit. So I guess that's part of why they were so successful. So, uh, yeah. So really, really good stuff. But um, the guy, Weinstock, he's into it, but he wants to wait because it seems like he knows that there's something up and it wouldn't be a good idea to move yet. So he he decides to hold back on doing the deal so far. Meanwhile, Popeye just again in another scene trying to tail someone <laughs> shows that he's apparently just really bad at Terrible. it. Terrible. He's so Dude, eager. He pl- and and he gets played for a Fool. Oh my god! So he fo- <laughs> he follows Frog One onto a train platform. Which trains? The guys trains. onto him. Yeah, we we. Oh yes, yeah, so you get train. your trains. You get your trains. A bunch of trains. I know. This is, this is a good train scene though. Frog One plays him like a sap on this train, getting on the train. So Popeye gets on uh, the train at another point, and then he hops off. So Popeye has to hop hop off, making it incredibly obvious that the dude knows he's following him. And then he does it twice. He does it again. And this time, he does it so that he, uh, the French guy's still on the train as it's pulling out, and he's left Popeye behind, and he gives him a little fucking wave goodbye, just as a little fuck yeah. you as it's pulling out of the station. 
awesome. Yep, he played him, but good. I actually yeah. think they hopped on and hopped off. Like, okay, can we count that? Because I, I think it was more than twice. It was like the first time they hop uh-huh. on and they like ride it for a stop. No, 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 they don't ride it. It, it, the doors stay open for an unrealistic <laughs> amount of time. It's it's that, two that train was cars. Also true. So they, <laughs> they hop okay. on, they hop, hop off, off, and then the then train they go leaves. To the, they go to the snack stand. Right. The guy gets a drink. And Popeye orders a grape drink, but gets a candy apple. Oh, yeah. I noticed that. I liked the candy apple, actually. But where's this fucking grape drink? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. New new train comes. They both get on. Frog one gets off to throw out his cup. Okay. So now that's that's two ons and offs so far. Then they get back on. And then Frog one... Hits it with the cane. No, no, no. He steps out, and then Gene also steps out, and they look at at each other, and he steps back in. And there was another one before the cane? Before the cane. There's a step out, step in, where it's like they're the only two people stepping out at this point now. There's no one on the platform, and so it's so freaking obvious. And Gene is in like a tizzy at this point because he's like trying to hop on and hop off and catch his train. <laughs> and so that's I mean, three. At this point, like, and then and then the cane. And then the cane. At, at a certain point it's like get another guy to do the tail because one you've been made and two you suck at it. Yeah. Like goddamn. So Frog one, he goes off to Washington DC for a meetup with Sal and it's like I get that it's a clever way to avoid being observed, but it's like, do you have to go all the way to Washington? Yeah, that was kind of weird. Just hop on a plane, talk outside, fly back. Only $54 round trip, though. That That is true. I did notice that. Is that I, I, all the reason why they went to D.C. was to just have like a private conversation? I think so, yeah. Oh, my God. They literally do nothing else there. Also... Don't you wish planes had cool like lounge rooms like oh that where you could like face each other and like stretch your legs out for a second? <laughs> I saw that and I was like, wait, is he taking a private jet back? Like, what the fuck is this? Or I was like, is that the smoking area of the plane? <laughs> no, the whole plane is the smoking area. So on the on the airplane back, uh, frog number two, the hitman guy offers to uh, take care of Popeye. Meanwhile, back in New York, the Chiefs had enough because apparently it's been two months and they have nothing to show for it yet. Mm. And I was like, Jesus, it's been two fucking months. Anyway, the hitman goes after Popeye sniper style, which is awesome. He hits a lady bystander who is pushing a baby carriage right. and kills her, which is also oh, awesome. Yeah. Was that true? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> God, I hope so. But... um. This I do. Leads to, yeah. I do want to just appreciate how every time someone is well, in the beginning when the guy was shot in the face, his entire face supposedly blows off because it's just like his his face turns into like red blood splatter on the whole thing. But then, if you notice, every time anyone else is shot after that, the bullet hole creates like a spurt of blood that comes out of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's like so, a fountain. It's so big, yeah, yeah, and, and like the the bullet holes is just like gigantic. Huge. <laughs> yeah, 
but this is this is the most famous scene from this movie, which is um the chase, particularly the car chase. Right. Uh, where so Popeye, although there is before the actual car chase starts, there's an unrealistic bit where Popeye runs up to the roof of the building where the sniper was, and then sees that the sniper is running out of the building towards the trains, and then catches up to him on foot. I was like, no fucking way you're catching up to him with all those stairs, dude. Totally, yeah. He's got a building like, distance ahead of you. Yeah, dude, he was like 16 stories up. But anyway, that aside, the He's just French so good at chasing. <laughs> he is good at chasing, as you see, because the French guy gets on a train and starts going down on the train, and Popeye has to follow him in a car. So you have a car versus train chase, and it's not even like a rural train. This is a middle-of-the-city elevated subway train, mm-hmm. and he's going through traffic. He it's crashes into great. so much and shit. Th- yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> um, and I, I, it's, it's fucking awesome. And... Th- <laughs> So the scene is really famous, and I want to throw out a few things about it. So number one, the idea behind it, partly the reason why this movie was made at all. So William Friedkin was uh, talking to this other director named Howard Hawks because um, he was dating Howard Hawks' daughter. And um, (laughs) I looked up the age difference, and it was like he was 33 and she was 23. So it was Oh. It, no, it was it was not particularly salacious, unfortunately. But um <laughs> he asked Howard Hawks, uh, what do you think of my movies? And uh Howard Hawks is like, They're lousy. But Ouch. then he says, But yes. Um maybe it's you know, he didn't like him because he, he was, was fucking his daughter. daughter but, <laughs> right. But he, then he says, Make a good chase, make one better than anyone's done. And so that's what he did in his next movie, this one. And so they made this scene in Brooklyn in Bensonhurst, uh, and it runs along what is now the D and B trains. It's pretty much most famous for those POV shots um, of the car where the camera's actually like mounted on the front of the car, mm-hmm. and you get kind of the car's eye view of it. But here's the thing. It was shot kind of gorilla style (laughs) like they didn't really have permits to do this oh my god so is he just crashing crashing into random people's cars so permission was given to control the traffic signals on those streets where they ran the chase car even so in many instances they illegally continued the chase into sections with no traffic control where they actually had to evade real traffic and pedestrians wow many of wow. yes many of the near collisions in the movie were therefore real and not planned wow um the uh an exception to that is where they nearly hit a woman with a baby carriage which was uh rehearsed and planned with stunt people uh-huh but um <laughs> yeah right but a bunch of the crashes were real. So a few of the hits were like supposed to be near misses with people in stunt cars where they just hit the car and they left them in. And one of the crashes was just straight up a real car crash where they hit a random guy and they left it in the movie. That's crazy. Jeez, yeah. So we were having a virtual happy hour with Oliver, Uh, both of your... 
high school companions, Oliver, um, <laughs> just before we watched this movie. And he mentioned this car chase and was like, oh, yeah, there's this really famous car chase in that movie. And we were like, ah, don't tell us anything. And he was like, yeah, no, I'm not telling you anything. There's just a great car chase. <laughs> and we were like, okay. Um, but he thought that it was so realistic just because there was no CGI or anything back in the day. So they just had to like shoot it for real. But I wonder if he even knew that some of the crashes were just real crashes. <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of it too. The The kind of like, the movie does have a kind of gritty filming style, which wasn't very common back then. Yeah, filming. I noticed a lot of the... uh, a lot of hand cams where they they could have used dollies, but they they clearly had hand cams that were a little more. And it was very shaky. shaky yeah, in a few parts. Too, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and in a few parts, actually, like where it's supposedly it would be on a dolly, they were even more grilled than that and just had it like in a wheelchair. They didn't oh, even wow. set a dolly up. They just like ran a wheelchair. But yeah. And uh, this is fun. Friedkin, all the shots from the back seat of the car, that was Friedkin operating the camera himself because apparently all the other camera operators were married with children. <laughs> and he was like, let's not risk any of their lives. Interesting. Good Lord. Yeah. I know. So that's the story behind this really famous car chase. Did you guys enjoy it, by the way? Did you like that car chase? Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was cool. Uh I thought it was cool, but I kept being like, no way in New York City would he be able to keep up with that train, which is going full speed, oh, totally. blowing through stops because the conductor passed out. Like, there's just no, like, with all the pedestrians and, yeah, like, they should have faked some pedestrian deaths or something, too. <laughs> that would have added to Gene's insane, you know, pursuit <laughs> mentality where he's like, I'm willing to risk anything to catch these guys, even like civilian death, right? But anyways, I did like it. Well, there is a death at the end, which is he catches up to the train and uh, the train. Uh, so, yeah, the conductor passes out or has a heart attack or whatever. And the train comes to a stop eventually because the emergency brake goes on before they can have a terrible crash. But they still hit another train and. The French guy gets off, and we get the shot that I knew, which is um, the shooting up the stairs. Um, Dream come true. And it's, I know. Uh, the Gene Hackman catches up to the French guy at the stairs of the subway, and this particular shot, um, apparently cops were really critical of this part of the scene, because it, if you think about it, Gene Hackman shoots a guy in the back, which a lot of cops feel like made that shooting uh murder and <laughs> not uh a, a a good a good police shooting really um yeah but Friedkin defended it by saying like i sort of feel like that's what the real guy would have done in this situation so <laughs> hmm. that's why they left it that way wow and the real guy was on set that day and didn't object so i guess everybody was cool with it so back to, uh, you know, the personality of the real dude. Right. Um, I mean, the funny thing, too, is that, like, what does he really even have on the guy at that point? You know, like, he doesn't. Well, he did try to kill him. Right. Cause he's yeah. The sniper. Okay. I guess. But does he really know that that's like, I don't think it's justifiable homicide. 
It's it's not the greatest shooting, but anyhow. So that all goes down, but the the deal is on. It's finally happening. Uh, everyone's got enough. Everyone's done enough waiting. They actually want to do it now, and it's going to go down with uh, a somehow having to do with this car, this brown Lincoln that they brought all the way from France. The dirty car. Um, yeah, the dirty car. So they follow the dirty car. The car gets dr- left behind and dropped, and then they sit on it and wait, and wait to see who picks it up. And um, they in the in the movie they wait like a really long time until the next morning. In the real life case, apparently they were sitting on that car for three days. Wow, I know. And it got me thinking again, very apropos for the moment we're in. How long could you just sit and watch? Like that, like how long could you last in a situation that boring? 45, 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Not three days for me. Well, that makes they wind up sp- that it makes more sense that there are looters who try to like jack the car, right? Because so they think that. The Frenchies are there to like grab the drugs, but it and and they the police come out of hiding and they're like, "Stop what you're doing!" and and they think it's like people involved in the drug deal, but they end up just being like carjackers, and that that would make more sense if the car were sitting there for three days, but like in the movie, it's sitting there for like a few minutes, and then they're like, these people are like, "Let's jack this car." <laughs> well, it's like it's overnight, you know, it's a. Uh... It's been there for a while, and it's New York, don't forget. <laughs> crime capital of the world. Down by the waterfront. Why would you park it down there? I know, and it's such a nice car. It's a Lincoln. But um, So th- they've sprung their trap, so they have to take the car in now, and they rip this fucking car apart looking for the drugs, and they just can't find them. Until Roy Scheider has the brilliant idea. He's like, wait a minute. The car was registered to weigh however much, and now it weighs this much. It's 120 pounds overweight. So the drugs are in there somewhere. And then the the mechanic guy is like, listen, I ripped everything out, except for the rocker panels. (laughs) They're like, dude, what the fuck? We were looking in the goddamn ashtray. (laughs) Also, I mean, I granted, I don't know what the hell rocker panels are, but then the second they, they turn to them, they're this part on the car. It's like, oh, you mean these perfectly drug slash cash sized like <laughs> openings? Yeah. That you can just stuff things in? Okay. Right. Like so they, they were, the they were sticking like tiny like wire into these like teeny tiny like inaccessible areas yeah where they were like oh is it like the engine and like yeah like is it stuck down this like minuscule like fraction of a centimeter sized opening (laughs) like what (laughs) but then the best part is that so they find the drugs yeah so they're in the rocker panels and they're like great and then like well so we'll we'll we still want to observe the drug deal go down. And so the most unrealistic part of this movie is the French people come to collect their car and they reassembled it. Yeah. Without a scratch. Yeah, no way. That thing was shredded. That thing was ready for like the fucking ocean. And they did not like take it apart gingerly. They were ripping it. They were ripping the headliner out and stuff. Like all of this like cloth. 
<laughs> yeah. They would they must have had to like go buy a new car. <laughs> yeah. Like that would have been easier than putting that thing back together. It was ridiculous after that much carnage. But anyway, so they give them the car back with the drugs still in it. Frog One now has to do the drop himself because his hitman is dead and his like TV star like accomplice has gotten spooked and has taken off. So he does the drop himself and it goes down and then Gene Hackman springs his trap and he gets to do his little wave back to him, which is great. And you're like, hell yeah, <laughs> you got him. Except and you that's don't. where, and that's and so that's the moment where like okay they've got it like they did it, but then there's like five minutes left of the movie, and this is where the movie ends, in a way that is fucking crazy. So they've they've sprung the trap and they've caught everyone theoretically except, ev- all the criminals run back to the like abandoned factory where they did the deal. There's a big shootout. The French guy runs deeper into the factory. Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider go after him. And the French guy, like, hides somewhere. Gene Hackman sees someone in the shadows, unloads his fucking pistol on him, and it turns out he's accidentally killed one of the feds who the FBI has been working with them in tandem this whole time. And there's been a guy who's been partnered with him, and he has accidentally killed that guy. Roy Scheider is horrified by this. He's like, you accidentally killed this other cop. Gene Hackman doesn't give a shit, couldn't nope. care less. Nope. He reloads his gun and yep. is like, I know he's over there. Runs off into the next room. We hear a gunshot, and then it's cut to black, and the movie is basically over, except for those credit like stingers that we talked about telling us the fate of everyone, which is that the French kingpin got away. Everyone who did get caught either got off or got very light sentences. And the two cops, Gene Popeye, Gene Hackman, and Roy Scheider, basically got reassigned, and there was no justice for anybody. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah, that was a bonkers last couple minutes. So abrupt. So abrupt. That's like, what I ha- I had re- my notes here are what the fuck it's over so sudden what the fuck Yeah like what was the what was the single shot Did he shoot another know. cop <laughs> I I don't know I thought he was dead I I thought it meant that he got shot Yeah Well and the weird part too about um when they ex- when they explain all the dispositions uh is that the two guys are transferred off of narcotics, which I get it. You you killed this FBI guy. Maybe that's why. But you also busted an international heroin smuggling ring. Like, good fucking job. Not like, oh, you're you're out of this department. That, that just didn't add up to me. I think maybe what it was was that um, because this was a really rich, powerful, influential, shadowy international crime syndicate, and given the light sentences for everybody else who like got off or got away, the idea is that they had some kind of pull and yeah. got the guys like politically. They got them like reassigned. Oh wow! So it's like, it all it's all above their heads, even though they right they did this bust. 
Maybe they weren't supposed to. Maybe that's why they go to D.C., which they could have explained this. Oh, but good call. They like Ooh. they had other business in D.C., you know, grease and palms with senators and lawmakers to make sure that like FBI wasn't putting too much into their I like case. It. I like it a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That yeah, glad we're here totally. beefing up the story. <laughs> well, but it makes it makes sense. But I mean, that that's the only thing it could be because other than that, it still doesn't change the fact that like, so we're at the point now where it's like, what did we think? And it's like, I liked the movie, but that ending was like really sudden. Like, I I like the abrupt. movie too. I think that like some of the things we've pointed out could have made this movie like fantastic, you know, if the writing was just a little better and if Gene Hackman's acting was like a little bit better. <laughs> um a little grittier. Yeah, like I he should have had some New York cop coach him or something, you know, like where was that in the budget? But well, he had he had the actual guy there, you know, and in point of fact, this may disappoint you, but um, talking about how the movie performed now, uh, in terms of awards that it won, it won a shitload. So <laughs> uh, must have I been a bad year for movie. Hollywood. <laughs> oh, I, I actually don't know what it was up against, but um, at the Oscars, it was nominated but did not win best sound best cinematography which is criminal cuz that car chase scene was great yeah and best supporting actor for Roy Scheider it won best editing hmm. best adapted screenplay hmm. best hmm. actor for Gene Hackman best director really and hmm. best picture whoa, whoa. yeah whoa. this movie fucking cleaned up so this was the like the parasite of 1971 yeah, yeah. Jeez, it really was we need to find I out mean, what I... else was up that year because it must have been a bunch of garbage barges <laughs> oh no i mean I, that the no, movie's the movie reputation was, was really good the movie you know, was good i mean i the screenplay, I mean, I guess adapted screenplay is different from best screen, best, can a, can a movie be in best adapted screenplay and best screenplay? No, because if it's just a screenplay, then it's not based on a book, so it's not adapted. I see. And also, so I mean, like, I knew it had this reputation for being this good. I, I didn't realize that it was so successful at the Academy Awards, but like, I knew this was like an incredibly up there, like almost Godfather level, well thought of film. It's like it's the French Connection. Like you, if you're a cinephile, you got to see it. And watching it, like I really liked it, but it's almost sort of like it was just a good crime movie. There, there was like there wasn't that like extra. You know, it's like a B plus. There wasn't that extra sort of like excellent oomph. That there wasn't that amazingness to it. That pushed it over over the that level to make it that great i kind of don't understand yeah because i think the story was just kind of lacking yeah it was lacking that depth it must be that car chase yeah it's it doesn't have very much depth i mean i get that 
the car chase and but that's why I'm shocked that cinematography didn't win, you know, directing maybe, but like best actor and best adapted screenplay, like that's pretty shocking cuz like screenplay to me is like what story did you make of this book or other piece? Like what what did you write to bring out the story? And I don't actually feel like the writing was that good. And so you wanted to know what it was up against. Here's what it beat for Best Picture. Nicholas and Alexandra. I don't know that one. The Last Picture Show. Fiddler on the Roof. And this is the one that I think will raise your eyebrows. A Clockwork Orange. What? Wow. Yeah, I'd oh, give it man. to also, I'd give it to them. <laughs> yeah, and William Friedkin beat Stanley Kubrick for director too. Other wow. movies that were out that year: McCabe and Miss Miller, Clute. Um, these these are all like really good movies. I wonder if um, A Clockwork Orange was like too scandalous to be given like much. Academy Awards. You know, like it was just like too okay. much. That is an interesting thing that you bring up because. This was the first R-rated film to win Best Picture. Hmm. But interestingly enough, two years earlier in 69, Midnight Cowboy had won Best Picture, and that's rated X. Wow. Jeez. Wait, but The French Connection is rated R? Yeah. Wow, we've really loosened the reins on that, huh? Well, this was I before mean, yeah. this was before PG thirteen existed, so it, it was either PG or R, right? Or X or right. X, right? So it's not or X. Is... It, it probably would be a PG thirteen these days, right? I mean, like the one N word is what's maybe pushing that over to the R. <laughs> there is that. Also, I mean, I you know, there's the violence. violence and drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess um, it is a little violent, but it's so funny to watch violence. From... It is funny. <laughs> no. Back then, I love it. <laughs> Took a pause too soon there. <laughs> um, no, it's just funny to see like quote like violence from a long time ago compared to today's violence is so comical and unrealistic that it's yeah. you know to me that's like that's not rated R like that's like unbelievable violence so it's like you know. Yeah, our sensibilities have changed quite a bit. Yeah. In terms of how it did financially, by the way, also did really well. It had a budget of $1.8 million. Uh, do you want to try and guess the box office? Um, 15. I was going to say 20. In the United States, it made just under $52 million. Ooh, oh, my God. Worldwide, 75. Holy, that is a good return on investment. Damn, yeah, in no the seventies too. Like, yeah, in seventies money, big that's bucks. like a billion bucks. <laughs> I did right. <laughs> Can We're buy all experts on that. inflation here. <laughs> I know. I mean, according to my calculations, yeah, that right? is ten trillion dollars. Um, but yeah, that that is so much compared to the budget. It's unbelievable. This was must have been such a huge hit. Interesting. 
you know, like we talked about, critics really, really liked this movie. Although, interestingly, it does have a bit of a gap. On Rotten Tomatoes, the gap between the critic score and audience score is uh, one of the larger ones I've seen. So it has a 98% from critics and only an 87% from the audience, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, hmm. I'm going to call out two reviews because I think they kind of get to the heart of the things that we were talking about. So Gene Siskel loved this movie. He said, There is only one problem with the excitement generated by this film. After it's over, you will walk out of the theater and, as I did, curse the tedium of your own life. Oh! <laughs> yeah, I know. I kept looking for someone who I could throw up against a wall. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> really liked it, huh? Um, on the other hand, Pauline Kale did not like this movie. And what she said about it was interesting. She said, It's not what I want, not because it fails. It doesn't fail, but because of what it is. It is, I think what we once feared mass entertainment might become jolts for jocks there's nothing <laughs> yeah there's nothing in the movie that you enjoy thinking about afterwards hmm fair point yeah i think that gets to what tiffany you and me were just saying about it's like awards performance we're like it's good but like it's surprising that it was like rated so highly because there's not like there's not that more there. Right, and it won best picture, right? Yeah. 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 So to me, like best picture is something that's supposed to like inspire you to think philosophically about some larger theme or send a, send a message. Yeah, like yeah. has some like emotional pull, you know, really leaves you changed or, you know, like any good piece of art makes you think about it or it leaves a lasting impression and like this was like cool and all but i'm like yeah i don't not I, yeah you know, it, it was it was good but it was just it. good yeah i wasn't moved by anything either it, it, it was just a pretty good movie yeah and, and that's it so yeah I, I kind of agree with that which i guess brings us to the ultimate judgment of the podcast which is do you think that this movie was better later never? By which I mean, was it a movie that you think was essential or a movie that you think it would be fine if you had never seen it at all? What do you guys think? You know, when you said, is this better late or never? I actually interpret that interpreted that in this moment as... I think it's better that I saw this late in my life. <laughs> like, I'm definitely glad I saw it and feel like it was an important, not important, but like this movie won awards. It was groundbreaking to some and, you know, had this crazy chase scene. So I feel like it needed to be seen, but... I'm definitely glad that I didn't rush to watch this movie any earlier on in my 31 years of life. <laughs> That's fair. 
What about you, Brian? Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm glad that I like know what this is now, you know, in case it's ever referenced. But it's got to be a never for me because like, like we've all been saying, like it doesn't really do anything. You know, I, I kept thinking during the film, like this should just be called bungled chases because <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what the whole thing is. And, and I was kind of looking for a little bit extra like, oh, what's the twist going to be? What's the comeuppance going to be like? And it just fell so flat. That really all it is is this this goofy trying to be want to be hard ass cop and a bunch of pursuits, many, many pursuits. And at the end of the day, I don't really need that. So it's going to be a never for me, dog. I think I agree with you guys. Um, I enjoyed Wait, this film. <laughs> How can you agree with both of us? We said different We're ones. opposites. Oh, well, but both I agree with your reasonings, I guess. Um, my vote's going to be never. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Tiffany's shocked. I enjoyed this movie. I, I watched it last night and really liked it, you know, except maybe for I, I didn't love the way it ended, but most of the way through, I was really digging it. And, you know, I'm I'm glad to have finally seen it because of its reputation and everything I've heard about it. But I, I keep thinking that like mostly I would view this film as essential just so that like it's an important film to have as your bona fides as a film viewer so that you could say like, right. oh yeah, of course I've seen the French connection, you know, like, yeah, I've, I've seen it. Whereas like, if you haven't seen it, people will be like, well, like you haven't even seen the French connection. What the fuck? So like now at least I have that. But like, honestly, even though I liked it and that car chase is great and it's historic and like all the fun facts about it were cool. But like I could have learned the fun facts about it and just known those. Like I think if I'd gone the rest of my life without having seen this film, that would have been fine. You know, it, it's what we said. Like I don't feel moved or changed by it, you know, so it's going to have to be a never for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Two Randys unite. Hell yeah. He was always my favorite judge. Well, anyway, well, that is our show. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please do. You can tell us everything that we got wrong and the reasons why by emailing us at betterlatethaneverpod at gmail.com or tweeting us at betterlate underscore pod. Brian and Tiffany, it was an absolute delight having you guys on the podcast. Aw, thanks so much for having me. This is so much fun. Thanks for having both of us, Dave. Love yeah. to do it again. Tiffany, please come back and do it another time. Yeah, maybe we should watch that X-rated film, that one best oh, Midnight picture Cowboy? a few years. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen that. I actually haven't seen it either, so if you guys oh, want to do shit. that next. I haven't I'm, seen it I'm either. totally down for it. Let's do it. I'm All in. Right. All right, cool. Well, in that case... Goodbye, all of you out in listener land. Please stay safe and wash your hands, and we will see you next time. Yes, Popeye.